Hugo, you can come up now. He'll give us the word. Good morning. As always, it seems like I repeat myself uh, every time I'm here, but it's worth repeating. Thank you so much for your love and your care. It's just a joy to be here with you and to look at your faces and to know that I'm loved. That's really a, just a joy and a, and a great privilege. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs, chapter 1. And I'd like to read the first seven verses. Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, 
justice and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel in order to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And may God bless to us the reading of his word. This morning I'd, uh, I've given my little talk a, the title, Where Wisdom Begins. Two years ago in October, I was in Italy. I have a lot of cousins there. I mean a lot. <laughs> and uh, I had brought a number of uh, uh, Bible study lessons with me in Italian, and I had given them to some of these cousins. I didn't have enough for everybody. But I, we were sitting down at table with a big bunch of them, about at least 15, and I was seated next to a dear lady, and we began to talk. And I knew she had been a philosophy major in college, and so uh, I asked her about a number of philosophers, you know, Socrates and Soph Sophocles and uh, Kant and Hume and on and on. And I said, uh, did you learn the truth from any of these philosophers? And she said, no. And I would mention a few other philosophers. I said, did you learn the truth from these? And she said, no. And I said to her then, where could you find the truth? And she looked at me rather blankly, and I said, you know, I'll tell you. I said, you can find the truth in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And I said, do you believe that? And she said, yes. Where does wisdom begin, and where does one find the truth? Is there a place that one can go and start the journey towards wisdom? Is there some magic pill that one can take? Is there an institution that contains the fountain of wisdom? I know from experience that wisdom does not come by graduating from UC Berkeley. Regardless of how many Nobel Prizes the professors there have been awarded. I also know that wisdom does not begin by reading all 50 volumes of the Harvard classics. We happen to have those on our shelf. Nor does wisdom begin by mastering the four volumes entitled The World's Greatest Thinkers. If knowledge could save us, we would have all the knowledge that we need, I think. Since 1955, knowledge has doubled every five years. And the libraries seem to groan with the weight of the new books that are coming out and are being just run through the mill year after year after year. And our generation possesses more data 
about the universe and human person, personality than all the previous generations put together. And yet by everyone's standards, even with all of our knowledge, the world is a mess. And brilliant scientific thinking has produced machines and weapons to blow us off the planet. And let's face it. Knowledge is not enough to meet life's problems. That's not where wisdom begins. So it's my privilege this morning to just take us a little bit on a tour, as it were, of, on the book of Proverbs, focusing particularly on the passage that we read earlier. Whenever I personally find myself experiencing disappointments in life, and I begin to recognize some of the rough and ragged edges in my life, I have often turned either to the Gospels or to the book of Proverbs. I turn to the Gospels because I particularly want to see Jesus freshly for myself. As he encountered and responded to the questions that life brings. For example, where should I bank? Should I bank where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal? Who is my boss? Is it God or mammon? What about the necessities of life? How much concern should I give to food and clothing and shelter? And how should I treat people? What about the future? So I look to the Gospels to see how Jesus spoke to these issues of life that uh, weigh so heavily upon us and on this generation. And then I turn to the book of Proverbs because it represents for me the common sense approach to life and faith. The book of Proverbs is truth for living. And it touches the concerns of all of us. Things like choice, behavior, criticism, anger, relationships, friendships, women, care for the poor, foolishness, life and death, etc., etc. And I turn to the Proverbs when I read of the scandal after scandal in our country. I think of the $50 billion stolen by one man, of political corruption, of problems that apparently have no solution. One writer described the Proverbs with as many one-sentence statements as the compressed experience. And I'd like to illustrate the idea of the compressed experience by asking you to turn to Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 1. This is one of the ways in which to look at the Proverbs, is to notice what I call the compressed experience. Something just squeezed close together. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 1 we read, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity 
than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Now, I want you to keep looking at that verse, but I want you to notice that there are two compressed experiences in the verse. One, the experience of the poor man, and secondly, the experience of the fool. Notice, first of all, that this verse tells us that behind every behavior, there is a set of values. Do you see that in the verse? Let me just continue to point that out. Compressed experience number one. Behind the walk, behind the behavior, behind the experience of the poor man, there is a value system called integrity or honesty or blamelessness. Now, not all poor men are honest, but the passage is telling us, be honest regardless of your circumstance in life. And that's the compressed experience for the poor man. He's poor, but he walks honestly. Compressed experience number two. Behind the perverse speech, this means twisted speech or bad behavior. Behind this experience is a value system that characterizes a fool. And the fool is a, in the book of Proverbs is not a person with a low IQ. The fool in the book of Proverbs is the one that says, no God, I will not have God. Take God out of my life. Take him out of the schools. Take him out. That person is a fool. He's a person who doesn't take God seriously or considers him at all in the decisions of life. He's a self-centered person, and God's judgment is he's a fool. And the Proverbs compare these two compressed experiences and concludes that the man, though poor, is better off as a person than the man who manipulates life and cheats. The Proverbs are compressed, distilled, reduced, and require some thoughtful meditation. And I believe that the rewards are well worth our time, and I recommend the Proverbs to all of you. For a number of years in our home, when our kids were small, we would read a proverb every night. You know, with 30 or 31 proverbs, you can just go right through the month. And then we'd start again, and we would uh, memorize uh, certain proverbs. And this was good for me. It was good for our kids. So I'd recommend that to you also, to read the one proverb a day. Uh, be, be very good for all of us. The book of Proverbs is primarily about our value system. It's about choices, moral and immoral. It's about the pathways of life, straight or crooked. It's about the benefits for right living, and it's about consequences for wrongful behavior. It's about being wise as opposed to being foolish. Now, getting back to our question, where does wisdom begin? Before I answer that, I think it would be well to define some terms. And I'd like to define the word Proverbs, and I would like to define the word wisdom. Then we'll take a closer look at the text we read together. 
The Hebrew word for Proverbs means to compare one or to rule. And we've already noted the idea of comparison in the experience of the poor man and the foolish man. We compare the two. We note that integrity or honesty is far better when compared to twisted speech. The idea of comparison, and we get a lot of that in the Proverbs. We compare this and we compare that, and we note that uh, what is good and the other is not so good. The word proverb also means to rule, and it's used in this way to suggest that the Proverbs are, wor are words with which we rule our life. The rule for life in the, worst, in the verse we've just considered is be a person of integrity. Be honest. Be a straight shooter. Be honest regardless of whether you're poor or regardless whether someone is getting at you with perverse speech. This is a rule for living and we'll be better people if we observe it. Now the word for wisdom is a very full and powerful word. And let me give you a brief definition. It means insight into those actions which please God. Insight into those actions which please God. Others have defined wisdom as knowledge that is applied. The big difference between the word in Hebrew and the word in Sophia is very remarkable. The word in Hebrew, chakma, is a word that includes God. That's the Hebrew word. The word in Greek, Sophia, is totally secular. So you have one word that includes God and a word that excludes God. Wisdom is an appreciation of what God requires of us and what we, on the other hand, owe God. And the scriptures remind us that the fool has said in his heart, no God. But the wise person, on the other hand, would say that the underlying basis of life and human experience is one's relationship with God. And the wisdom of Proverbs also recognizes that to know the right is not necessarily to do the right. We may, knew, we may know the right course to follow, but sometimes we don't do it. We don't do it. Proverbs wants to teach us that wisdom is an attribute of God. And the New Testament goes even beyond it and tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Now, if you still have your Bibles open to Proverbs chapter 1, let's take a look at that for a little while. In verses 2, 3, and 4, we have four verbs or infinitives. Verbs that are used to describe the purpose of the book. In verse 2, we have the word to know. To know. To know wisdom and instruction. Again in verse 2, to discern the sayings of understanding. In verse 3, to receive instruction in wise behavior. In verse 4, to give 
prudence or shrewdness. And I use the word shrewdness in the best sense of the word. One writer calls these words synonyms for the word wisdom. And the author's great purpose is that people might be less often foolish and more often wise to improve our overall performance in life. Proverbs is written to at least two classes of people. And see if you find yourself in one of these. First, you have the naive in verse 4. And secondly, you have the wise in verse 5. And the third class might be the fool. The naive person. The naive is the, naive is the person who is inexperienced, simple, immature, uninstructed, and therefore very impressionable. A very young person might be thought of as naive, though if you were to tell him that, he might not like that characterization. The naive person is very vulnerable, easily misled. And what he needs are three special components of wisdom, as our passage tells us. Now, if there are some young people here, I want you to listen to these. First of all, you have prudence. Secondly, knowledge. And thirdly, discretion. Prudence is good for the naive. Prudence is a kind of uh, shrewdness to help in the avoidance of a pitfall. It's a kind of instruction that will give the person the capacity for escaping what the New Testament calls the wiles of the devil. We need some help there. And I suggest that you probably get some help when you go to the Bible study. You get some prudence. It helps us to escape the pitfalls of life. Knowledge. Here means perception. Knowing what is going on. Look at things. Be observant. Notice that the person who takes drugs doesn't end up well. Notice that. Notice that the dishonest eventually we'll have to pay the consequences. Notice that. Notice that the troublemaker gets into trouble himself. Notice these kinds of things. That's what this, the, the word knowledge here is getting at. Wants us to notice uh, people in life and how their outcome, outcome is displayed. The word discretion suggests caution. Go a little bit slower. Ask the right questions. Be on your guard. Don't be duped. Three things, three components that help the naive. Prudence, knowledge, and discretion. Now listen to two verses from the Proverbs that are addressed to the naive. Proverbs 14, verse 15. The naive believes everything. 
but the prudent man considers his steps. Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive go on and are punished for it. The second class of persons the Proverbs address are the wise in verse 5. What do the wise need? The wise man listens and increases in learning. He does not remain where he is. He doesn't stagnate. He doesn't become petrified, but is continually learning and growing. And a good place to grow is in a good church atmosphere. Secondly, the wise man will acquire wise counsel. He is not a lone ranger. He seeks out wise people to consult with and to listen to. He's going to hear people of experience. He's going to get as much training as possible. He's going to try to acquire wise counsel. And the wise person listens and acquires wise counsel because this will help him to understand a number of things. Our passage gives us four things that he will understand. He will understand, that wise person, the various proverbs of life. The various proverbs of life. There are a lot of interesting proverbs. And we wonder, what in the world is, is he or she getting at with this proverb? I know my mother had some wise proverbs. And I remember some and others I have forgotten. Wise proverbs. Do we understand them? And then, secondly, to understand the various figures, such as metaphors and so on. Uh, the book of Hosea is full of metaphors. Just one metaphor after another. For example, Hosea describes a certain person as one who has gray hairs here and there on his head, but he doesn't know it. What is he talking about when he says that? Because our experience in life is that when you get a gray hair, you know it, particularly that first one or two or three. <laughs> and, you know, you can laugh at them, but usually what you do is you pull them out. Now, I don't dare pull any, any of mine out. <laughs> because, you know, then, why, I wouldn't need a haircut any longer. But the wise person acquires wisdom in order for him to address and understand the different figures. And then, the, also, another thing is, the words of the wise. A wise person listens to the words of other wise people. And I'd like to ask, who do you listen to in life? Do you listen to Oprah Winfrey? 
Do you listen to one of the pundits who tells you and explains everything in the, the administration that's going on right now? You know, one of the uh, commentators, one of the so-called talking heads. Do we listen to them? Psalm 1 verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk, don't live your life influenced by wicked and sometimes even good-sounding advice. Listen. The words of the wise will help us in determining some of that. And then lastly, it speaks of the riddles of life. Riddles. Do you ever encounter any riddles in life? Some things don't seem to make sense in life. And we need a lot of wisdom to unravel their meanings. So we need to listen to the wise. Do you have a wise person that you can consult with? There's a verse that I look at every now and then. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And it's about the Apostle Paul who had these fears within and fears without and uh, he was not in very good shape. As a matter of fact, he was depressed. And then there's this one verse that I love. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted me by the coming of Titus. Do you have a Titus in your life? Or can you be a Titus to someone else? And here is Titus who helps Paul with his depression. You ever think of the Apostle Paul that way? That he needed some help. And God provided someone who had the name Titus. He's my second most favorite character in the scripture. Well, we still are open to the question, where does wisdom begin? And at last we come to verse 7. And I want you to look at that verse very carefully with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then there's a companion verse to that in Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Then there's one more companion verse in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. That's what the verse says. The beginning of wisdom is to acquire wisdom. Get it. And with all acquiring, get understanding. Now the word beginning carries two meanings. First of all, it means first in order. If knowledge were composed of 200 items, the fear of the Lord is number one. 
the beginning of wisdom. Regardless of how many components wisdom has, the fear of the Lord is number one. All others come behind it. Secondly, the word beginning also means first in importance. There are a lot of items in wisdom or knowledge, but this one is the most important. First in order, first in importance. And this suggests that the fear of the Lord is the top priority of life. It's the top priority of life if one wants to begin the life of wisdom. And that's where we must begin, is with the fear of the Lord. Now, this, of course, raises the question, what is the fear of the Lord? And don't we already have enough fear or phobias in life? Some of us have fear of disease. Some of us fear that our country has become morally bankrupt. Some of us fear having the means to raise our families. Some have the fear of paying for college. My daughter was talking to me yesterday about her son who will be going to college in the fall. And uh, one of the colleges that they looked at, the cost is $52,000 a year. And uh, it's not one of the Ivy League colleges either. Uh, some of us fear that kind of thing. Do we really need something else to fear? So what does it mean to fear the Lord? For some, to fear the Lord means to have reverence or the proper respect for God. And the definition I like personally is, the fear of the Lord means that I will take God with the greatest seriousness possible. Nothing should distract me from taking God seriously. But why be serious about God? Because no, no one else is as great as he is. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is always present because he knows what to do. Because he is the only one that can deliver me from the consequences of sin in my life. Therefore, I will take him seriously. Because he is believable. He is the truth. Because only in him I have the possibility of a personal relationship that will never end. Therefore, I will take him seriously. Is it not wisdom then to have this kind of respect for God? To fear the Lord means the beginning of a relationship with God. It means a commitment to God. It means to believe Him. It means to trust Him. That's where wisdom begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I must take God seriously, with all seriousness. He's not the man upstairs, He's God. And the Lord's Prayer teaches us, hallowed, hallowed be your name. And we want to hallow 
God because we want to take him seriously. How many here take God with the greatest possible seriousness? Do you take God seriously in terms of your relationships with others? Do you take God seriously when he speaks to us through the Bible? Do we take God seriously when he urges us to repent and come to him? Do we take God seriously when he says, I love you, and then he has to wait for our response? Do we take God seriously when he says, you are an ambassador for Christ, and do we fulfill that high calling of an ambassador? This is where wisdom begins. No shortcuts. No way to replace the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the top priority. The top priority in life. It is where we must begin. And lastly, and in closing, if you have your Bibles, look again at Proverbs chapter 8. And verse 12. Here's a personification of wisdom. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, that is wisdom, kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who judge rightly. And then lastly, verse 17, I love those who love me. Do you love wisdom? I don't think being smart, necessarily. I mean one who fears the Lord. Because that's the beginning of wisdom. May we pray together. Father, we thank you for, for the Lord Jesus, who is wisdom personified. We thank you, Father, for the teaching that we receive at the mouth of the prophets and of the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to understand and to hear, to take to heart these uh, lessons uh, that we read in, 
in your book, the book of Proverbs. Father, we pray for each person here today that we all have already put Jesus at the front of the line. And we pray, Lord, that he'll continue to remain in that position in our lives. Help us, Father, in this uh, time of crisis in our country. Help us to be the kind of people, your, your people, wise people, Father, dismiss us with your blessing now. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.